Hi there, this is Craig. I'm just cutting into the beginning of this podcast to let you know that this was the first podcast we've recorded, and at the time I hadn't yet brought a microphone, so you'll notice some of my audio is a bit of a mess. We tried to edit out some of the poor audio to make it easier to listen to while keeping as much of the conversation as we could. But at points, it sounds a bit like Tobias is at a seance and I'm talking to him beyond the grave. If this is the first of our podcasts you listen to, know that this is the only one where we have such audio issues. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Podcast, the movie podcast. We are discussing film. We are showing each other films. We are showing each other films that neither of us have seen. Some films will be shocking to our listeners out there that neither of us have seen. Certainly since both of us have been to film school and, and, and yeah. done this, tried to film do this schools, for a living. <laughs> film school is a bit overselling it, I think. But yeah, I mean, you know, you know, you've got, got, got to give yourself credit. You know, <laughs> I mean, certainly when you've got nothing to show for it, you may as well big it up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, sir. And- Let's get into it, I guess. Yeah. Have you got anything uh, to say to our listeners before we get started? Um, not really. Well, yeah, I think uh, so. Every episode, we're going to try and show each other something that we haven't seen. Uh, yes. In this episode, we're going to be doing The Godfather Part Two, which I have seen. Uh. It's a super favorite of mine. <laughs> Although, actually, rewatching it, my opinion has changed, actually. But we'll get oh, to really? that. Yeah, because I'm spotting some things that I didn't think about before, but we'll get to it. Uh, I mean, yeah, this, I, this is a film that you haven't seen. Now you I have, no, no, I, had, I hadn't seen it prior. I had seen the, the first one, and I really like that film, but it's a, it's a hard slog to get through, and I was much younger when I f- watched the first one, and I had put off this second one for an awful long time. But now that I'm in my 30s, it's like, all right, <laughs> You grow up. Watch the fucking Godfather. Uh, so yeah. Oh, are we are we PG thirteen in this pod? Should we bleep that? Maybe we should bleep that. We'll consider bleeping things. I, I don't yeah, know. We'll, we'll think. We'll about figure it. it out. Yeah, if, we'll if figure it out. If you're old enough to talk about the Godfather Part Two, I think you should be able to withstand a bit of swearing here and there, right? Yeah, I think <laughs> that's a fair enough observation. Yeah, yeah. Fair play. Fair play. Well. Let's get into The Godfather Part 2. We should have a jingle here. We should get a jingle. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll play with that as well. We could do like uh, a... We could do we could do one now. You know, like a... I think that's like enough. Cow. We're going to use enough? that one. Yeah, All right, it. let's do that. That's the one from now on. All right, everyone. Um, welcome to the pod. Done. It's like Countdown, isn't it? It's like Countdown. <laughs> I love it. Right. All right. So, Godfather Part 2... It's pretty good. <laughs> I'm not sure why I'm surprised. It's pretty good. Um, but uh, I don't love it like everyone else seems to love it. My dad is fuming with me that I didn't have more nice things to say about it. I mean, it's good. Mm. It's just not as good as the original. The original's way better. For me, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I think the thing about The Godfather Part Two is it's very... It's a little bit experimental and it's very perfectionist and it's got a lot of realism that Hollywood didn't have at the time. And it like it just set another layer, like another stage for like uh, I don't know, like how, how good a film can really be, like in terms of how it looks and in terms of how it's done. 
it raised mm. the bar a lot. But yeah, I like I was saying just before we started there, like I feel that my opinion has changed a bit because I think that people big it up so much that it's like if you mm. don't like it, it's like, oh, what's wrong with you? You don't understand film then, do you? But like uh looking at it now, yeah, with I mean, everything else that we've seen, it, it it does have it does have some faults that kind of make it feel a bit funny, you know what I mean? Mm. Well, I mean, because I'm with you, really. I, I, I thought the, the sort of uh, most impressive part of the film for me, when I'm looking at it sort of from a, a filmic point of view, you know, coming at it from a film student sort of attitude, I thought it was filmed beautif beautifully. Like the, I thought the um, flashbacks, I felt that it was very authentic and it, they were very realist in sort of, you know, how it was approached in the direction but i personally am more interested in sort of formulaic you know, not formulaic my a more formulistic mindset in direction that's what i sort of prefer when you notice the direction the flair for direction a bit more i suppose quentin tarantino's made that a sort of uh, guarantee for people to look for like where's the flair in the movie mm. And, you know, I sort of felt that it was, you know, it, it just felt very real, like, you know, it felt very grounded. And I think it really achieved in that respect. Yeah, yeah. I, I always think, like, I, I think that, uh, so we're actually not sure if The Godfather Part Two is in, um, the story actually comes from the same book, or if it's just uh, the, the first book, uh, the first film comes from the book. Because my wife was telling me that, uh, I've read the book. I don't remember any of this, so I'm not sure if that's completely true. But I do, I do feel that when you're watching it, it feels like it's quite literally an adaptation of the book, and it feels like uh, Francis Ford Coppola was being really like honourable. Like he really wants, okay, this is what happens in the book. This has to happen. It has to be like this. Right. And like you know, when you read a book, the books don't always they don't always go in the same kind of. Um, formulas a film does at least the way that films are now done today so it feels well, like film books can sometimes have these tangents can't they and i feel that well, the, the, I think the you've, you've hit on something there because let's not forget that the guy who wrote the screenplay is the author of the book mario oh, really? puzo isn't it isn't that his name mario puzo yeah i didn't realize he was a screenwriter as well well, oh, I've got a really interesting analogy for you like a little little uh, story i heard years ago uh, apparently, Mario Puzo, he, he'd never written any screenplay before. And then when they adapted The Godfather and he won two uh, two best screenplays or two best adapted screenplay Oscars. And he's like, OK, so I've made two films now, won two Oscars. Maybe I should give this screenwriting thing a crack. And he went out, he bought a screenwriting book. And the first thing it said in the book was go watch The Godfather. So, like, he's like, <laughs> oh, so I already know how to do it then, I guess. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure how true that is, but I heard it a while back and I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I know he adapted it from his, you know, I know he wrote the screenplay, but I don't know how much he changed. This is a thing we probably should have researched the book for this. Let's we be should, honest. Yeah. Yeah. But look, we're it's, jumping head first into it. So, you know, yeah. we're... We're still learning, listeners. We're still learning. Hopefully, it's an interesting learning curve for you as well. Maybe one day we might revisit this and maybe we'll slaughter maybe. our own uh, original analysis. Who knows? Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking also of um, the way that the film is made, I was thinking 
And I'm not sure if I'm correct, but I think The Godfather Part 2 must be one of the earliest prequels. Uh, do you know about the, how the first film was made, how much trouble they had to get it done? Well, see, I'd heard, I'd heard a story that uh, the, the, the first two Godfather films were filmed as one movie, but it doesn't really feel that way after watching it, you know. Um, uh, so I don't know how true that is. But if you, I'm not you know. sure about that. But I, I know that when, they, when Francis Ford Coppola first tried to make The Godfather, he yeah. had massive problems with the studios because they didn't want to give him all the things he wanted. For example, like uh, they were saying, let's film it in the 70s because it was the 70s at the time. And, no, no, no. Francis Ford Coppola was like, we have to film it in the 40s. It has to be like this. It has to have this style. It has to feel this certain way. We have to follow the book like this. And there was even times where um, at one point, uh, they, he, uh, the studio didn't want Al Pacino to play Michael. And mm. they had to call up James Khan and say, hey, James, do you want to come in and do a screen test for Michael? And like, they almost lost Al Pacino and almost had James Khan as Michael. And like, but like, yeah, fr I think apart from James Khan and Marlon Brando, uh, Francis Ford Coppola wanted everybody to be Italian. They had to be Italian guys. They have to mm. look a certain way and, no, you know, know the background, you know what I mean? Like yeah. from that New York kind of area. So like, yeah, they, and like, yeah, a lot of work. He struggled a lot, and then yeah, it came out pretty good. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting. Look, Pacino really is a great actor. He really is. Um, it, this is not his best performance, though. Neither of the Godfathers for me. He is brilliant. He is yeah. brilliant. Don't don't kill me yet. Don't squeeze me yet. But like, you know, I, I don't think these are his best performances. You know, I, I think Dog Day Afternoon is. Is really Dolly stellar, is yeah, yeah, and I, I think he—I don't think he's ever given a better performance. And it's I'm still waiting. You, it's it's very interesting you say that because they say that uh, his performance in Godfather Part Two is his best performance. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he is brilliant. He is brilliant. You know, when he, you know, towards—I mean, look—I think we'll get into the details of the film towards you know later in the pod. But you know, I, I just remember like. You know, when he when he he's like, I, I know it was you, Fredo. I know it was you. And I'm like, oh God, like he's so good. And then like also the bit where he's uh where where Diane Keaton's trying to take the kids and he's like mm -hmm. he's trying to reason with her and he's like, But don't you know me? Don't you know I won't let that happen? And like and it's it's basically he's being nice to her, but like you can say it's a threat. You, like it's so mm -hmm. he's He's being super, super nice. Like, I love you. I want to be with you. But the words he chooses, it's very like, but you know what I'll have to do to you if yeah. you take my children away. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, he's, oh, he, I, yeah, no, he is brilliant in this movie. He really, really is. And I love, um, I love the character arc of Michael over these two movies. It's a great mm. character arc. You know, I think the sort of modern uh, character arc to that is kind of breaking bad you know walter white going from like you know a sort of respectable guy to you know big hot shot like powerful gangster dude you know so that's like you know, i, I kind of see this i mean don't get me wrong michael was always like you know part of a crime syndicate but you know mm. in the first one like he was trying to stand up on his own you know he he went to you know he, he fought for his country you know 
uh, Vito had big plans for him to have his, like, to equate his own power, his own le legitimate power, not mm -hmm. this manufactured power. You know, I, I, I think they say something about him, like maybe being in like politics or something, or or a lawyer or something. So they have a guy on the inside or sort of thing. Um, but yeah, still, so like they saw him as like you know standing on his own rather one. than with the family the clean one yeah 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 well look let why don't we go into the you know break the film down like i've got a bunch of notes here and it's sort of like a a puke note draft i guess of like <laughs> it's just me puking all my thoughts as i have them while i'm watching um, i go for I've got it there's a there's a few things to go over Number one, the first fucking thing that I wrote down, fucking Adrian from Rocky's in it. And I was like, oh, it's Adrian. Yes. <laughs> like, and I'm like, how the hell did I not remember that Adrian was in The Godfather? It's like, I can't remember the actress's name, but she was in two Godfather films and six oh, Rocky movies. Are you talking about Talia Shire? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So this is, she was in, the Rocky franchise and the Godfather franchise. Dude, hmm. she she was like the nineteen seventies equivalent of Jennifer Lawrence or Nat or um uh, what's her what's her name Scarlett Johansson in all of these big Hollywood franchises. It's mental. I couldn't be. I was so angry with myself that I'd forgotten she was in it. Do you know, do uh, you know who she's the mother of? What in real life? No idea. Yeah, yeah. A Jason Schwartzman. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah. He's well, a Coppola. I was going to say, isn't Schwartzman like the cousin of Sofia Coppola? Yeah, they're cousins, I think. Yeah. I think Talia uh. is... I think she might be the sister of Francis Falk. No, I'm not sure, actually. There is... Because she's a fair bit younger than him, I think. Or maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, they're related. They're all part of the Coppola family. Oh, Big well, family. no wonder. I mean, well, this is it. I, I, I know that uh, Sofia Coppola is uh, like a kid in this or something, but she's brilliant. Like, oh, and there's so many films of hers I'm a massive fan of. I think she dwarfs her dad maybe a little bit. Because, mm. I mean, look, I'm not going to hate on Francis Ford Coppola, but like, besides this and Apocalypse Now, you know, I mean, that Dracula movie wasn't good at all. The one with... Um, the one with, oh, what's his name? Gary Oldman as Dracula. Dracula 2000. And Keanu Reeves is playing English in it. Oh, it's dreadful. Uh, it's I don't terrible. even know if I've seen this. <laughs> oh, it's not. It's really not worth watching. It's it's not good. There's some nice, don't get me wrong, there's some nice, like, directorial flourishes. But overall, it's it's not a great movie. Mm. Uh, but, it, but it is a great, Dracula is a great character. So maybe you want to watch it just for that. But uh, I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan. Um, yeah. So the this movie, Godfather, that opening, they've got like a sort of cold opening with like a title crawl, or not a title crawl, not like Star Wars or anything. Yeah. They, they basically give you a little a little backstory, and I, again, it was something that I felt was unnecessary, something that probably bled into the movie from the book. Because you probably would have written that in the book, but mm -hmm. I feel like in the movie you didn't really need to to do that. I felt like the audience would have caught up. You know, if you, if you just show a kid called Vito, you know, in ninety, you know, early 
uh, late 1800 Sicily or whatever time it was. Uh, yeah, like we, we, the the audience would have caught on to, oh, this is a flashback to Marlon Brando as a kid. You know what you could have even have done? You could have even have started it from when his mother is taking him to uh, Don Chichi, I think it is. And mm. just say, please, like, you could explain it right there. You could cut exactly. a fair bit off in the beginning and just say, just please spare my son. You've killed my husband. You've killed my oldest son. Mm. Uh, and then you would get it. You wouldn't need much of that beginning part. Yeah, really. exactly. Exactly. I just didn't feel like it was necessary. I felt like I really liked the opening, but what the, I just felt like the the backstory that we're getting at the beginning just, you know, it just felt a bit cold to me, you know, but like I say, maybe, maybe a product of it being uh, adapted from a book, you know? Yeah. I think probably most likely. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I also think that kid playing Vito, he looks way more like uh, Robert De Niro than he looks Marlon Brando. <laughs> he, yeah. he, he does look like De Niro. He looks nothing like Brando. De Niro and Brando look nothing alike as well, might I add. They, they don't. And like also, you know that Marlon Brando used to have these things in his mouth when he played uh, Vito Corleone to bring, yeah, yeah. to bring his jaw out a bit more. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, I think, I need to maybe go back and check, but does De Niro use anything like that? No, he, no, he no I don't. a little bit out, maybe, his jaw, but... But that's just his face, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Although I had, you know, speaking of his face, there are a few moments in the film where he does that kind of like smile, that upside down smile. You know what I'm talking about? You know, mm. the kind of uh, the kind of uh, De Niro way, kind of shrugs and his, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Upside down yeah. smile. Yeah, yeah the, the 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 sort of like yeah the 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 sort of nod of agreement that he does, but it can also mean a plethora of other things. Yeah, you know, it, it's just yeah, it's just De Niro's face. Yeah, yeah, it's funny to see that he had that even back then. It's just stuck with him all these years yeah. in his career. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, a face is something that's difficult to get rid of, but you know, he, he he's he's made a whole career out of keeping that face. I mean, look, that mole on his face, he's kept that from the beginning. Can we talk a little bit about them actually, De Niro and Al Pacino? Because there's a couple of things that I was thinking about recently. Yeah, go like, on, let's go. So I, when I was, like, trying to find the film to watch, I have it on DVD, but I thought, ah, it's going to be a pain in the ass to get the DVD player to work again. So I thought, okay, I'll try and find it online. And I saw this one comment uh, that was actually kind of interesting. This guy was saying that um, how the performances changed over time between Pacino and um, uh, De Niro. Mm. Like how this guy was – he at least it was his opinion – uh, that Pacino was very wooden, whilst uh, De Niro had a bit more, I don't know, a bit more energetic. And then over time, they kind of swapped, and Pacino became more energetic, for example, like in Scarface. Uh, I think that's probably one of his most I mean, energetic roles, whilst uh, De Niro seems to be more, I don't know, gradually, a... yeah. An interesting comment. I'm not sure I completely agree with it, but I, I thought it was an interesting thing. Uh, I mean, I feel like this this person hasn't seen Dog Day Afternoon. I mean, that's such an energetic performance from Pacino, and yeah. I'm pretty sure that came out before the second Godfather film. I could be wrong. After the first one, before the second one, I could be wrong about that. But it was pretty early in his career doing Dog. He was very young in that movie. 
Mm. And Ser- Serpico as well. I oh, mean, Serpico, I yeah. That's very Ser- Pacino. Yeah, like it's very, like a very flamboyant Pacino. So I, I'm not sure I agree with that. But, you know, I, I kind of get maybe sort of older, as they've gotten much older, De Niro has been more reserved. He's more comfortable, you know, like mm. he's always playing characters that look cosy. They look comfortable, you know. Oh, I'm I'm the angry CIA dad to meet uh, to Ben Stiller. But it's a comfortable <laughs> job. It's comfortable. I've got a cat. Do you know what I mean? Like, he never seems, like, very stretched anymore. Whereas yeah. sometimes Pacino rocks up in something, and I'm like, you know what? He's still giving everything. He's still giving as much as he always did. He just might not have as much as he used to. But, mm. yeah, I think Pacino gives a lot uh, to a role. I like – I've always, I've consistently liked Pacino in everything I've seen him in. De Niro sometimes is a bit hit and miss with me. Sometimes he gives a performance that I'm like, ooh, what was that? Yeah, I don't know if you've seen Hide and Seek, but it's no, a waste I haven't of time. seen that. It is a waste of time. Do not. We are not watching that for the podcast. I tell you that. <laughs> that is not happening. It's dreadful. Not worth watching. It's a horror yeah. film. Let's yeah. I was also thinking about, like, for example, I think. So I think The Godfather definitely made Pacino. Before that, I don't mm. think Pacino was very well known at all. And I think, although I need to look at Robert De Niro's career beforehand to see like his filmography on Wikipedia. And he was in a few things before then, before Godfather Part Two. But I think there are kind of some small roles. He did win a few awards maybe here and there, but they're more independent. But I think really the Godfather Part Two cemented him. He is now like a, a Hollywood icon. Like at that point, mm. that was his, probably his breakthrough role. So I think of it as like, Godfather made Pacino and Godfather Part Two made De Niro. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think that's a, a, a very fair uh, observation to make. I think a lot of people have said it before too. And I think it's also interesting to point out that they never share screen time. These yeah. two great actors in this movie never share screen time. And, and you know what else? I have to tell you this as well. So when I was looking for The Godfather Part Two, I first checked on Netflix and it wasn't there. But you know what did oh. come up? Go on. Heat. So ah. I ended up, yeah. So by by accident, I ended up watching Heat, which I hadn't seen either, and that was quite interesting. I was thinking, ah, so in The Godfather, they're never in the same place, but here they are in the same place together, and it was very just just one scene, though. <laughs> Only no, one two, scene. Two scenes. Two scenes. There's oh, one scene where they, yeah. There's one scene where they meet up and they go to have a coffee with each other, and they yeah, that's the scene I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, and then there's at the end where. Pacino kills him, kills De Niro. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, as as I say, you know that that is one of the greatest masterclass of acting in a in a single scene that you'll ever get to see. It, it, it the dialogue isn't great, but those two guys are acting the shit out of that scene. They yeah. are going for it. It's like they're making each other even better, and. What so that's uh, heat was what twenty years, twenty five years after Godfather, twenty something years later, yeah. So it took twenty years to get these guys in a scene together. Crazy. Yeah, Crazy. It's really, it's quite, yeah, it's very weird to think about. It also yeah. something else about heat. Heat is one of the films I think that got me into film actually, because I remember when I was a kid, it was on TV, and well, it was near the end actually. I remember something that stuff happening around the airport. Um, my dad was watching it as well. And he was talking about Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. 
and I didn't know who they were because I was only a kid at the time. So mm. how do you not know who Robert De Niro and uh, Al Pacino <laughs> are? And I, I, I think I kind of, at that point, I started to see, oh, my dad really likes film. He knows a lot about film. So I looked up to him and I wanted, maybe that inspired my interest in film to want to know more about it because of that moment. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, I mean, my dad always showed me films. I, I don't really have a defining moment that got me into films. I wish I did now. That would have been, <laughs> oh, I'm jealous of your moment with your dad. <laughs> I'm really jealous. Oh. Yeah, no, I don't have a moment like that. I, I just always watched films. I mean, my dad always watched films. and But he was, he, like I said, he's a massive Pacino nerd. He loves his Pacino. He, you know, Pacino can do no wrong. And, you know, I'm prone to agree with him, if I'm honest. But mm. I, maybe I've just inherited that from him. Not many people our age, Craig, you know, watch these kind of films. Not many. So. Yeah, it's a shame. They're well, missing at least the ones I meet. <laughs> I mean, when we were uh, when we were doing film together, there were so many people in our film class that hadn't watched movies that literally like blew our minds that they could mm. be studying film and they'd never even heard of some of these films. Like, it was shocking to us. Uh, but then again, it's kind of shocking. I'd never seen Godfather Part Two yeah. before two days ago. So yeah. Uh, Kind of mental. I think when you watch older films, it's really it, it puts a lot of things into context for you when you watch more modern films. Because mm. you start to piece together, ah, why is that done in a certain way? And you see, ah, because this or that or this happened. And like when you know the history, it really it makes it actually more interesting to watch, in my opinion. Yeah. You get more out of it when you when you know a bit of history. Well, absolutely. I mean, a, a lot of people are sort of split on that new Quentin film, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think if you know the the history, yeah. that's a film for it won't be so divisive. Yeah, that's a film for f film nerds. I think a little yeah. bit, isn't it? Yeah, or, or or at least people that are interested in like the sort of Hollywood system, you know, in that era. You know, o obviously, there's a lot of cool story, and we know that Quentin is a massive fan of it. There's a lot of stories out there. So, yeah, if you're a fan of that era, it's a love letter for you. But if you are if you don't know much about it, it might go over your head. I'm sure there were people who were like, who's Bruce Lee? Which to me is just oh. heresy to even for even that sentence to come out of my mouth. But I'm sure there were people that watched that film who didn't know who Bruce Lee was because, you know, they're just not... You know they weren't what you know they're watching movies from that era. They're not interested in the sort of um, history of Hollywood um, in that era or at all. Um, but for you know for people like us, it, it's interesting stuff. You know, mm. some sometimes boring, but usually interesting. You know, yeah. So it it is what it is. It is what it is. But I I think Quentin made it really exciting. But this is it. You 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 needed to know a lot to for the movie to not go over your head um so I, yeah i think you're right i think even with modern films that try and do it you know historical context is important should we get back oh. to the godfather yeah let's do godfather let's do yeah. godfather do you um, want to continue with some of your notes well look so we talked about the opening scene but then we yeah. get into the present day or or michael's story at least i think 1958 at, wasn't it 58, I believe, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. 
I, I only wrote down uh, 1917 for the first De Niro flashback. I haven't got any more dates written down. So, uh-huh. um, oh, I was quite surprised. So the, the opening scene, we have like that American dude, the senator, I think he was trying to put the squeeze <laughs> on Pacino. Um, and you already can tell that it's a mistake. Like, but then there's like, a, is there a, is there a party going on? Like, I've always wanted to be sophisticated enough to throw one of these gangster parties. I love the way they, you know, you know, you come to me on my daughter's wedding. And I know that's Brando, but like these parties held by gangsters are fucking great looking. But I was, I was surprised to find out that it's a seven year time jump. I didn't know that. I thought the second film was going to be a direct sequel to the first. Nah, uh, nah. So I, I was surprised. I, seven yeah. years, I didn't know. Because so, yeah. when, when we when we first start uh, seeing Michael's timeline, it starts with his son Anthony, I think, doing communion. So, and by the beginning of the first film, he's being uh, at the end of the first film. I think he's been baptized. So you know that he's mm. gone from a, a baby to now, like I don't know, seven, eight year old kid. So is it, there yeah. is that. Yeah, I think that's kind of supposed to be a bit of a indicator of how much time has passed between the two films mm, interesting yeah well but this is it i, I was surprised I, I really didn't think that there would be a big time jump i mean we find that out quite early on that it's seven years but yeah i i, I was i think i was just under the impression it was a direct sequel yeah yeah um but either way uh, again, it's a, it, that's another thing that makes me think, is this movie even necessary? We've jumped seven years ahead. So, you know, that's seven years of stories that I bet were going to be interesting. Mm. Well, can we also talk about that? that uh, what's his name? The senator. I forgot what his name was. He must yeah, I have, have no known idea. that he was being played, right? At some point. Because, like, when, when he gets... Um, when the uh, the guys come, say, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna help you," and he's in the brothel, and that prostitute has been murdered, and he's covered in blood. Like, I don't remember. I don't remember. And then later on, obviously, he's now one hundred percent. Like in the later scenes, he's in Michael's pocket one hundred percent. They go to Cuba. Mm-hmm. He helps him up in the the hearing, and like he, well, like, well that, they they he, caught they him caught... doing some degenerate stuff, True. so they had that over him. But like at the beginning, I felt like he was the one thinking he was in control. Yeah. And but we as the audience know he is not in control. Like you look at Pacino's face and it's like, oh, he is in complete control of this situation. Mm. You know. I mean, like some of the death stares that he's giving out at this party, you know, like it's only the beginning of the movie, and we've already seen the Pacino like proper looking down people. And it's subtle as well, but he's just constantly looking at people like, I'm going to murder all of you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 th- I think the senator, because he, the senator was kind of uh, racist, wasn't he? I, I, yeah, I seem to he didn't remember. Like, like Italians. Didn't like Italians. And yeah, so like he's Come being tough. We see here. Well, this, he thinks he's untouchable because he's not part of the criminal syndicate he's part of politics so he thinks he's untouchable and you know he finds out very quickly actually you're not you're not at all you know i love it when robert devall catches him uh with that with the dead girl 
And he's like, mm. you're, lu you're lucky that we know the owner. You're very yeah. lucky. We'll make it disappear. And then he starts explaining himself. And Duvall's like, chill, man. It doesn't matter. You're in our pocket now. So yeah. we'll make it go away. Like, I love it. I, I loved how Duvall approached him. Can we speak about Robert Duvall in this movie? Yeah, go on. He's brilliant. Isn't he just so good yeah. in this movie? I love I Robert Duvall. And I feel that, because I've said I prefer the original movie, and I think this movie severely lacks the presence of Brando and James Caan. They are so <laughs> two, two of my favourite actors of all time. And Duvall, he is my, he's my nicotine patch for James Caan and Marlon Brando. I love Robert Duvall in this. See, I, He's so good. Rewatching it, I didn't realize how much smaller his role was in the second film. I think he has a yeah. bit of a larger role. He has more, bit more of a chance to uh, to to spread his wings a bit in the first film. And this film, it yeah. feels a bit more like he's a bit more restrained. He doesn't have a uh, many opportunities to. Well, uh, he literally becomes the don for a portion of the movie. Like he gets yeah. promoted to True. to boss. He's the boss. Yeah. And yeah. like Pacino has to go and do his own thing. But yeah, like Robert Duvall gets given the job as boss. So, you know, we, we get to see him flex a bit. I, I really like Duvall in this movie. He's so composed. And I mm. feel like when whenever he's around, it's all going to be okay for the Corleones because you've got Robert Duvall. Like he knows exactly what you all need to do. He should be running the show. Like he knows everything. Yeah. Yeah. I loved him. Robert Duvall is the Don. Yeah, because he gets that pretty early on, doesn't he? It's pretty early on that he he gets the promotion. Hmm. You know what? Can we... Because we only have about maybe 20 minutes till this is an hour long. Do you want to yes. talk about the problems of the film? Because I've got a list of things I'm like not sure about. And I'm wondering, do you want to go through them? Yeah, okay, sure. Let, let's, quick fire, let's do a quick fire round of... Why Craig thinks Godfather is shit? No, it's not that. It's <laughs> no, that's out there now, Craig. Yeah, that's there out there now. You may, there. you may as well just commit to it now. So you I tell, well. you tell us and the listeners why is it that you think Godfather Two is shit? So, <laughs> so there are some things that I'm like, I, I don't, I don't think really make too much sense. Uh, the two, two things that happen in the film, both in uh, Vito's timeline and Michael's timeline, mm -hmm. both of them uh, seem to somehow figure something out that you don't ever see. And you're like, how, how, does they, how do they know that? Like, for example, with Michael, it's a bit more annoying, I think, because how does Michael know that Hyman Roth is the bad guy? Like, well... he just seems to have a meeting with him and he gets a feeling. And I feel that's not enough evidence. Like, if I was Michael... I would need like solid evidence that Hyman Roth well, is trying course. to fuck me. Of course. And I, I was going to get into this later, but like there are some scenes where I feel like they're sort of, they're building paranoia and they're building tension. And it, it does, it, sometimes it just doesn't seem to lead to anything. And it's, you know, I, and like sometimes I found it a bit jarring. Like there's, do you recall the, the deal that they make in Cuba? And mm. there's a there's a cake being passed around. And the, the, the focus that the camera had on this fucking cake, it's like, is someone going to jump out of the cake and kill everyone? <laughs> is is the cake poisoned? Like, I was having all these... And then it just came to nothing. And it's like, you, you made such a big deal 
Like, and the tension, like, I, it just keeps getting built, you know, um, more and more. And I think, I think on first watch, I've only watched it the one time. And I felt like on the first watch, I'm like, ah, I'm not loving, like, like you say, I'm seeing it as a problem that Pacino is sort of jumping to conclusions and all this. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, I do think that this is all just lending to the paranoia of of Michael. Like the paranoia is being felt through the audience as well. Like mm-hmm. we don't know what's going on. Even we are like struggling to keep track of who's betraying who. Like you had that other guy. Um, what was his name? Uh, the other dude, the guy that um, grasses him up. Ah, oh, forget his name, Angeli, Angeli or something. His name was, and he was like oh, another Frank he, Pentangeli. Yes, yeah. yes, Pentangeli. So like he's running the New York uh, Corleones, right? So yeah. like, so he, um, so obviously like we find out that Roth set up his failed assassination attempt, but when you're watching it the first time, you believe that Michael set him up. Because they, they don't tell you anything else. They just let you see Michael Corleone says hello. And then they try yeah, and kill him. So, so this this scene, I I was like, what what is going on here? This is a right. this is one of my most problematic scenes of the whole film. Why did they do it like that? Because what, what really makes it confusing, in my opinion, is so uh, one of the Risotto, Risotto brothers, I think, yeah. Uh, gets a gun out when that police come, policeman comes, and then they all just uh, charge him out of the room. Uh, and then they book and I'm, it. I'm, yeah, and then there's a gunfight on the streets, and I'm a bit. Because um, Roth. So we yeah. find out that Roth set that up, and it's like, how could you set that up? Like it's yeah. too, it's too, too complicated. Complicated for that to have been the plan, right? Like, is yeah. that that's. Yeah, I had the same issue. I had the same issue because when they reveal it, I'm like, "So hang on, so it was all it was all planned, and that that doesn't make sense to me anyway." Yeah. Like, but again, perhaps it's just there to build that paranoia because, like, I'm thinking maybe they're trying to make us as on edge as Michael is at this point of the film, so we don't mm. know who to trust. We, as the audience, are confused as to who is playing who but by the end of the movie we realize michael is just the chess master he knows how everyone plays although it's shocking to me that he didn't figure fredo out sooner fredo's a little bitch isn't he yeah but at least with fredo's a little bitch well at least uh it feels more natural how he figures out that it's fredo because there are pieces of information that he hears here and there yeah like for example at first fredo is pretending oh i never met johnny ola uh, I think I don't know him. Whatever, and mm. then then they're in Cuba and it's oh yeah we come with me Frankie uh, sorry Johnny Ola show me his place yeah 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 and he's like you can see Michael uh huh he's like listening yeah. his brother being stupid but, by the way the, 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 the sort of look that Pacino gives oh that sort of look of like are oh, you it's you it's yeah like, oh. yeah go that, on the actor who plays Johnny Ola uh it went on to go in the Sopranos by the way he plays Uncle Junior. He's one of the main oh, characters. Yeah. And we, we could have gone this whole podcast without mentioning that I haven't seen The Sopranos. We could oh have. My God. But, but you couldn't even get through an hour of the podcast <laughs> before, before mentioning that. Yes, 
humble listeners, I have not seen The Sopranos, but I'm getting round to it. It's just bloody long. So I, I, give me time. Give me time. I'll get there. When you're I'll in your 60s, there. maybe. 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 But then I'll have to watch The Wire. <laughs> yeah. Can I also say a couple of other things as well? More in uh, Vito's timeline. So Vito, as we know, he's a boy uh, uh, at the beginning of the film and his brother and his father are killed and then the mafia, Costa mm-hmm. Nostra, whatever you want to call it, they want to kill him and he has to escape to America, right? Yes. So why, when he's an adult and he's with his friend, I think it's Tessio, I'm not sure, uh, does he have to be told about the black hand uh, when they when we first see Fanucci? And it because, feels like because we're he, watching. Yeah, That's it's, why. Just, it's just a bit. Like, it's a, it's pointless exposition. Yeah, like uh, it, it just feels a bit silly. Like we, I think you can kind of guess. Oh, that's a mafia guy. Yeah, uh, you could have done it in another way, a bit of a smarter way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it sure. seemed as if, like, like Vito just completely forgot about his childhood. And, and that's another thing I have a bit of a problem with Vito, is that he's too innocent, and I don't feel that's real. Like, he's just too good and nice. He has that feel about him, right? And, and this is annoys me because it plays into this kind of idea that, you know, back in the old days, uh, criminals were um, gentlemen, you know, it's yeah. kind of like they had some morals and stuff. And then in the, today, yeah. no, they don't have that. And that really bugs me because I think that's bullshit, to be honest. Well, there's, there's this certain romanticism about classic gangsters, right? There's this romanticism that we have. And I think this is why I'm not a huge fan, because there's, you know, it sort of glorifies it in a way that makes it feel kind of like, you know, fiction. It doesn't feel real. It's, it's so larger than life. You know, I think British gangster films, like, they feel grounded, they feel real, they feel like they could happen. A lot of these, a lot of these, like, American gangster films I watch, it feels like, you know, pulpy, you know, not, it doesn't, it feels too large. It feels larger than life. It feels like extended reality. We know that people were like this. Like, I think the Capones, uh, the Capone gang was the the most... Um, sort of name-worthy real gangster that was this, you know, romanticised idea of a gangster. But I've only watched movies about it and it still doesn't feel real, even though I, I know Capone was real. Like, it doesn't feel real. It, it, it feels, you know, make-believe. It feels fairy tale because of this romanticism for it, I guess. Mm. Um, and, yeah, maybe that's why I'm not a huge fan of, you know, American gangster stuff. This is why I haven't seen... The Sopranos, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I, I, that's the sort of mindset I have with it. Um, and it's why I've waited till now to watch The Godfather Part 2, I guess. Yeah. And you know what else as well? So, and then like you have this whole bit, so like with Michael, you had about he knows Roth is the bad guy. But with Vito, yeah. his moment of like somehow knowing something is when he manages to kill Fanucci which I felt, well, maybe now thinking about it, he, I think he was following him from the roof of a building, but he seemed to know where he like, uh, it seemed, seemed too well planned, like how he was uh, found where he lived and got like, was at the right time and the right place and everything. It just seemed a bit, for me, a bit funny. I don't mm. know. And like, he even had to be coaxed into becoming a bad guy. Like when he, I think it's Clemenza, 
who takes him to this house to steal a rug and oh yeah it's my friend's place yeah it's okay just yeah. take it uh and i i i don't know i had some i had some real problems with that because i really think that um for me i think Vito should have been a bit more open to criminality. Uh, if that, is that a word, criminality? You know what I mean? Well, this is it. He's like your friendly neighbourhood gangster, whereas Pacino is like a gangster gangster. You know, he's not friendly. By the end of The Godfather 2, Pacino ain't friendly. Like, he went from being the purest out of the family to the worst of all of them. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but yeah, like Brando was sort of like your friendly neighborhood gangster, you know, uh, everyone liked him. He looked after the community. You know what I mean? You know, he, he was one of those kind of gangsters. He looked after the people that lived under his reign and, you know, he'd, he'd sort people out if you asked him, as long as you do him a favor, you know, do him a favor, scratch him, he'll scratch you. And, you know, there was honour among that. And then obviously in the first movie, they get into the drug industry and Vito really didn't want to do that. Vito like thought that was beneath the family. He's like, no, we can't be doing drugs. You know, they'll sell it to kids or something, like all this. So like Vito wanted to veto that, but they went through with it eventually. And so obviously when we come into The Godfather Part 2, it's been seven years Pacino running the business and it's now a drug empire. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's already darker. There was some honor amongst it and it feels like the second film, they're trying to keep hold of that honor, but it's, it keeps getting dragged away from them. Pacino's too paranoid to like run the business, but he's ambitious. So the business is getting better. They keep making money. They keep branching out to bigger and better things. Yeah. I mean, to gambling into the gamble and you look at cuba like roth was saying about uh you know roth's plan is basically to turn a city in cuba into a giant casino he wants to make like mm. las vegas and it could be a base of operations for pacino's criminality um and yeah uh so like he's branching out he's branching out but branching out like the the He's not making the business more legitimate. He's just making the business appear more legitimate. But he mm -hmm. promised Diane Keaton, you know, the business will be legitimate within five years. And, like, we see that he has no intention of making the business legitimate. It's just the appearance of legitimacy. I mean, there's even a bit, I wrote it down here, where um, the, his kid says to him, oh, when you do this, when you work, I wish I could help you out. And he's like, you will one day. He's like, one day you will help me out. You will, you'll be running the show. So it's like, he, he makes it very clear to his kid, he has zero intention of getting out of the business or making the business more legitimate. It's just about the empire. So we know that him and Diane Keaton are, are doomed from the outset of this movie. Like there's no, I mean, we knew it from the ending of the first movie. This is why this movie wasn't necessary. We knew all of this was going to happen. You know mm. what I mean? Any, but it's fun watching it. It is fun watching it. I hate Fredo. He's it's a great performance, but he's such a fucking snake. I hate him. <laughs> he's a perfectly written character. He's just such a little dweeby weasel. 
I hate him. He's Please become me. an archetype now in some shows, I think. Like, I'm watching um, Succession. Have you heard of this? No. There's a character. Uh, actually, funny enough, he's also the middle brother. Uh, Fredo is the middle brother of the Corleone family. And this character, I forget, Roman is his name. He's the middle character, uh, middle bro- uh, brother in this family. And they seem this not completely the same. This guy is a bit more uh, ballsy in some ways, a bit. Uh, but th- there's some, there is there's a similar feeling about them, a bit sleazy, uh, mm. a bit dishonest, um, looking out for themselves a little bit, and a bit stupid. And like, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think that became an archetype after Fredo set that up in the Godfather Part Two. A little bit already mm. in the first one, but yeah, definitely in the second film, definitely. Yeah. By the way, so we're getting we're like fifty three minutes in. We Do are you think indeed. Maybe, uh, should we wrap this up? Maybe I don't know. Should we try to formulate some kind of conclusion on our thoughts of Godfather I Part mean, Two? I mean, we still have so much of the movie to discuss. We really. have a lot. Of, yeah. There's so much, and I want to surprise you with a little segment in our first episode. Um, all right, so let's call this half time. Do shrapnel.